You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. Y'all should stick to Flintstones. All right. Speaking of auto safety, um, let's start. And we have uh, a fun week with uh, that large, that you know, South African with the good hair, uh, Elon Musk. Lots of news on Elon Musk this week. I mean, that could be our entire show. So I'll start off for the Department of Justice. Is it finally investigating autopilot? So autopilot, for those of you who don't know, is nonsense. It's a marketing term, along with full self-driving and all these other great things that Tesla says for extra money, we'll give it to you. And it's coming just right around the corner. And they do things like they have videos on their site saying the human sitting in the driver's seat is just here for legal reasons or something like that. The car is driving itself. These are what um, are used to be called lies. Um, and finally, the FTC and the DOG are getting around to um, uh, <laughs> to calling them out on their garbage. I have no idea what took so long, um, but it's uh, I, I'm dying to find out what's going to happen. And we and we kind of are too because there's not a lot of details. It was first reported by Reuters, but um, and it appears that it involves autopilot, which is something we've asked the FTC to act on. Um, but in this case, it may be. Um, it could have come out of the Department of Transportation. I'm, I'm not even sure if it's clear that this is um, whether this is related to their advertising uh, issue or whether NHTSA is taking the stance that autopilot is, you know, in fact, a defect, whether due to um, the combination of the advertising and some of the systems making drivers complacent, um, whether it's due to the fact that they just can't seem to stop running into emergency vehicles and motorcycles and other things that um cars wouldn't normally want to run into um and and you know also looking at that ihs study that we looked at a few weeks ago that found that you know over half the people buying these things think they can drive themselves that's largely due to some of the marketing junk that we've seen tesla do where they're on one hand saying hey this thing's gonna be a giant fleet of robo taxis in a couple years on one hand and on the other hand when you get in the car please keep your hands on the wheel it's very dangerous that type of mixed messaging never works out um when you're when you're talking about consumer safety yeah that and there's too many news stories but i remember a couple years ago there was some guy in in the bay area out in california where he would take naps in the back seat of his car and let the car drive itself and and just kind of absolute insanity um i don't know why you'd want to do that i don't know why you'd want to be on the road with that person but I like what you just said that NHTSA might be referring to this as a defect. That's great. Yeah, you know, it, it would fit under, um, you know, they've issued enforcement guidance in the past that suggests that if a vehicle is um, advertised or, you know, its capabilities are somewhat overstated in such a way that um, makes misuse of the vehicle, the kind of thing you're talking about with that guy, more likely or, or foreseeable for the manufacturer, then they shouldn't be putting that technology on the road. It's a, it's, it's unreasonable risk to motor vehicle safety. And so it should be recalled. Um, that's an argument that we've made about autopilot. And I think I've seen it from a number of folks at this point um, that, you know, autopilot with its 
it's continuously being updated. There's a lot of issues. It involves multiple systems. You know, it's very confusing to your average consumer. It's confusing to us sometimes. Um, and and the full self-driving thing. I mean, I would I have to imagine that's part of this probe because that's that term is probably even more outlandish than autopilot was at the time we filed our, our request with the FTC in 2018. We were focused more on autopilot because full self-driving at that point was not very developed at all, whereas now it has become um, – it remains a promise that Elon says is coming next year consistently, and it never does. But there's an actually, you know, this is so we start with the the obviously large problem of of what Tesla's doing. Now I want to go to the one that's kind of interesting. I think it's um, Elon Musk and the former NHTSA admin uh, suggest recall notification updates don't really make sense um, that there's have to be sent over mail with over the air updates happening. There's got to be other ways to let people know there's a recall issued for your car. And this is kind of interesting because. It brings up the issue of, okay, um, I mean, I rarely check my mail. Maybe once a week I'll check it. Maybe once every two weeks because it's right. garbage. It's credit card ads uh, for people who don't live here. And um, with over-the-air updates happening so rapidly and quickly, what kind of notification is required of the consumer? Or, I mean, what if I don't have access to over-the-air updates for whatever reason? Well, you know, an issue is that every recall is associated with a safety critical need and so you really need to work hard to get 100 percent coverage and as michael will attest 70 percent coverage is uh very difficult to achieve it has been achieved in certain cases but i don't think that saying that well we're going to get most of the people with this particular electronic technology is appropriate for something that is an imminent hazard you really need to try very hard to do that. And I don't think that limiting the uh, numbers of ways you try to contact people uh, benefits them in any way. Sure, there may be an extra mail. Somebody may have gotten the over-the-air update, so, but it doesn't hurt for somebody to say, gee, I already got that, so I'm, I'm good to go. Oh, Michael muted himself, and he was right. He was telling something brilliant right now. We could watch it. You're missing out. I, I doubt it. But you know, it's weird in this case that you know there is an argument to be made that you know an over-the-air update is applied to a vehicle. The recall is already fixed, so the one of the purposes of you know the notification from NHTSA has been satisfied there, and probably the main purpose. You know, the vehicle is fixed, but the purpose of those notifications isn't just that it's to let the owner know that there's a problem with their vehicle what's really going on here and what what tesla's complaints really are is that they don't want to have to update the public every time they make a, a a safety related software update on their cars um because they think that's a a hassle and you know maybe it is but if you were testing these things better to start with you wouldn't have all these other paperwork you'd have to do um but the OTAs right now are, you know, to argue as the article suggests that, you know, former NITS administrator Rosekind and Musk were pushing for, um, to argue that OTAs should somehow be the reason we overhaul the recall system now is a little silly because 
A, there's very few vehicles that can receive over-the-air updates, and B, over-the-air updates can't fix a ruptured brake hose or a contaminated circuit board or a lot of the things that you still need physical notice of a recall. Um, and so overhauling the whole system to make everything electronic doesn't make a lot of sense too, because I still know a lot of people contact the center after receiving a notice in the mail. And that's the only way they would have heard about a recall. So, um, as I say, I, you know, I'd, I'd like recall alerts to be bugging the hell out of people until they get the car fixed. So whether it's, you know, by email, text, snail mail, I don't care as long as we can push those numbers way past 70%. Because in a lot of these recalls, we have, you know, dangerous vehicles sitting on the roads today, years after a recall was put out and, you know, threatening lives because people either haven't heard about it or haven't taken the time to get it fixed. I think that's interesting is, is yeah, expand the way notifications are done. Because I think right now the law is written that it has to be sent over postal mail, but they have the option to also send some sort of electronic message. I think you're right, harassing people. I remember as a kid, my parents getting a recall notice for their Oldsmobile Cutlass, and the recall notice was, you bought an Oldsmobile Cutlass, you're an idiot. Um, but you know, when you get recall notices back in the day, if it's something physical, a brake line, you bring it into the dealership, you know what happened. How, how does Mia, you know, us as the consumers know what really happened with an over-the-air update? One, did I get that patch? Did what was actually changed? How will I notice something different? Um, you know, related to a, a a recall roundup thing we'll talk about in the future. Will it affect my you know my infotainment system? Um, like that's the that's the missing piece. I think is is for me is yes. Send out as, as as many forms as possible. Carrier pigeon, whatever. Bombard people with this information. But with over the air updates, how do I know what happened? Um, well, they, presumably, they would be telling you what happened. You know, they would. In fact, there are guidelines for what they have to report. You know, they have to identify the the safety defect. So they would have to tell you what they were fixing, and they'd have to you know tell you what the remedy was for it, which essentially tells you how they're going to uh, make it better. Um, so that still applies. So owners would be getting that information and you've seen, I I mean, we've seen GM's cruise division resists a little recently. I think we talked about that a few episodes ago, um, resist the idea that a software update that's performed, um, you know, on a hundred percent of the vehicles and is, you know, there were no, you know, at the time of the update, there were no injuries or deaths. They argue, well, it's not, it's, it's related to safety, but it's not, you know, it, it didn't present an unreasonable risk to safety. We fixed it and we've put out, a, um, you know, we've, we don't need to put out notices because they're either vehicles within our control or they're, um, you know, the software has automatically been updated for everyone. So, you know, there's an argument there, but the, the fact remains, you know, OTA, OTA recall fixes remain such a small percentage of the overall number of recall fixes at this point that, um, but that's they might be accused. Tesla might be accused of living in a future that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> right. But, but I think right. just the laws move so slowly, like in 10 years from now, that's going to be a lot more prominent. And well, so 10 years ago, Congress told NHTSA to update it, its regulations to um, account for electronic means of recall notification. And you'll be surprised to know they still haven't done that. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. 
All right. Um, okay. So then the, uh, I think the last big, uh, <laughs> Tesla thing is, uh, so in case you haven't heard, Elon Musk uh, decided to buy Twitter. No one's really sure why. It was a prank that got out of hand, I guess, and now he's on the hook. And so what he decided to do is bring in all of his engineers from other companies um, to look at Twitter's software. Now, having worked in the software industry for a couple decades, I find this insane. Uh, so, for example, he took the, the autopilot chief, the person designing the autopilot software, which is incredibly complex software and having them do a code review on Twitter, which also complex, but in a totally different way. I mean, it, it's, it's the nuttiest thing I've ever heard. Um, even if you worked in the same thing, even if you worked in a social media company and went to a different social media company, it would take you at least a week and a half. If you're really diligent, really smart to get up to speed, to figure out what they're doing, why they made these choices. But this is like having someone who's a native Greek speaker all of a sudden learn how to write Mandarin in a couple of days. Um, well, I can see a natural connection, actually, because, you know, one of the issues that's come up is the verification of Twitter owners or Twitter account owners and how Elon wants to uh, monetize that and turn that into a subscription service rather than whatever the hell it is now. I think that, it, uh, you know, it would be reasonable for them to extend that to all the vehicles on the road. And unless the vehicle is verified, they wouldn't have to consider it as a safety risk. So, you know, the only cars that they would crash into would be those that have not subscribed to the verification service. And I think, you know, that that would make a lot of sense to me. I, I think that's a great idea. I, will, I won't hit cars unless they pay a subscription fee. Uh, why not? You know, the technology means is there and they've got the software overlap between the two companies. It's I think it's a natural. <laughs> that's that's good. Um, and you just have it automatically tweet out. Hey, I was in a crash with someone's not verified. Maybe the crash didn't happen. There you go. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm interested what autopilot can do for Twitter. Can you know? Are you in, in a year? You're going to be able to take your hands off your keyboard, and their AI will be able to do all the tweeting for you. Uh, it sounds like a you know something I might want to get in on today, so that I don't have to pay high subscription fees later. That's good. Someone has suggested. One of the investors suggested this is a great thing because now you can integrate Twitter into the Tesla infotainment system, and I'm like that. Yeah, that's insane. That's that's, that's almost as bad as the metaverse suggestion from Sony a few weeks back. Well, I don't know if you can crowdsource driving, it's bound to be safer. You know, if you can have <laughs> 10 people weigh in on whether you want to turn right or left, it's, you're bound to come up with a better decision. That's a good idea. Yeah. Which lane should I be in? Let the wow. internet decide. Democratic steering. I don't <laughs> know how well that, that that's going to go over with the American public. Or just driving through New Jersey. You guys may be described as freedom haters. I'm not sure. <laughs> clearly, clearly. So, yeah, I mean, just decisions like that just question the the technical background of of Mr. Musk here, because that's just um, it, it. It doesn't make any sense from an engineering point of view. I don't know why his people would agree to this. Actually, I read in one article that some of the people they're not getting compensated like, hey, you work at SpaceX. Now you got to go help fix Twitter and they're not getting compensated for this. They're just being told well it could be good for your career i mean how excited must they be leaving spacex for twitter like <laughs> that's got to be a downgrade right hey uh, we were working on rocket propulsion systems now we're trying to figure out if uh there was obscenities in a tweet like uh, what i don't 
I don't get it. Very, very strange. Um, let's jump to a, a recall roundup because we got some fun ones. Strap in. Time for the recall roundup. So the one I was just alluding to is from our uh, favorite SUV maker, Lamborghini. Uh, so Lamborghini had a recall 48 vehicles. Um, and it's uh, due to a hardware issue. The infotainment unit in the center console may become damaged when the driver turns off the vehicle. <laughs> so so uh, if you turn off your car, your infotainment system may break. Um, and this would, the, the reason it had to be recalled is not because you can't listen to Sirius XM anymore. It's because it will disable and break your rear view camera. Um, how is, I, I, again, I'm just, I mean, the, the obvious <laughs> fix there is just don't turn off your car. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's the obvious fix. Well, if you spend that much, you're probably going to want to live in it. <laughs> oh, please. You, you can afford a, a Lamborghini SUV, by the way. I mean, Lamborghini SUV. The only reason I know it exists is because of a, a video game my son has. Um, and you get, that's one of the choices you get to choose. Yeah, I wasn't aware until I saw the recall. <laughs> but I mean, I that is just I, I mean, I wish it would give a little more detail of how this happened. Um, I mean, that's um, so it's a, an error in one of the voltage regulators may lead to damage to various components with the control unit, causing a loss of all functions, including screen display. Uh, upon startup, the driver will notice that the infotainment screen in the center console is not working not displaying an image of themselves or their bank account balance and telling them how beautiful and pretty they are, which should prompt the driver to pay extra attention. Um, and you know, this is, I think this is the, probably one of the more common uh, infotainment related recalls we've seen um, recently in the industry. You know, we see a lot of folks having the rear visibility standard messed up their rear camera Um for reversing being basically nixed by overriding software issues in the infotainment system, which is a huge problem. Um, I think, you know, we, we are behind the separation of infotainment from safety, critical systems, manufacturers see economic synergies there. Another way of saying it's cheaper to put them all in one place. Um, but, the problem is then you have to design your infotainment systems with the type of analysis you would use on safety critical systems that costs a lot of money. We're not sure if all the manufacturers are investing what it, what it takes to do that safely. And so that's a problem. And, you know, I don't know. And something uh, I have looked around for, but if there are any, you know, industry standards, obviously, Anthony, NHTSA hasn't done anything here. Um, <laughs> but there aren't any, I, I couldn't find any industry standards either that really dug too deep into that. Um, but who knows, maybe there's some out there. Was it, who was the, the manufacturer of the last uh, rear view camera issue that we came in across where that camera would fail? Was that Volkswagen? Um, Volkswagen has had one, I believe they had one yeah. on Atlas. And, yeah. and so Lamborghini is a division of Volkswagen. Are they just like, who's supplying these systems for them? Is it just, they're just getting a, a bunk supplier? Is that? 
I wasn't even aware that 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 Lamborghini had been acquired by Volkswagen. So you can see how much I keep up with luxury cars. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, he is wearing a Ferrari jacket right now. So I, I get why you'd be, you know, you know, uh, uh, hating on the Lamborghini. All right. Um, so uh, another one. Oh, Hyundai Kia on fire again. Uh, the Kia recall is a recall of 2008 roughly vehicles, to, not 2008 vehicles, but 2000 year model year 2008 that still can't figure out why they're catching on fire. To keep in mind, these are not EVs. These are, you know, good old gasoline vehicles. Um, the Santa Fe Sport is one that should have been recalled in February, according to Mr. Brooks here. And he muted himself again. He's very conscientious because he's burping constantly and he's muting it for that. He's he's not doing that. There are a couple issues with, with these recalls or, or one issue for each. The You know, the Kia recall, I mean, these these are vehicles that are, I think, 14, 15 years old. And there is a fire defect that originates in the um, I believe it's the braking control units. Um and they just haven't been able to figure it out right now. You know, you, you look at the rec the recall notific or the recall um, part five seventy three as we call it, which is the defect information report. Um, and you'll see that they aren't even sure what's causing the the newest fires. And so these are folks who have basically had a fire risk in their vehicles for about fifteen years now, and it's still not fixed. So that's concerning. Um, and the Hyundai one was. A little odd because basically Hyundai said that the plant in Georgia didn't tell them that uh, these Santa Fe sport vehicles that were left out of the recall in February should have been included, which is odd to us because we think, you know, that Hyundai Motors should know which models have which parts at a corporate level. They're not relying on um local manufacturers to tell that kind of thing to them um just so that you know it, that one they say they inadvert inadvertently left those vehicles out we often see manufacturers leave out swaths of vehicles that probably and arguably should be included in the recall to save money so i'm cynical here i don't i don't really believe it was that all that inadvertent um i just don't think they did their due diligence on that one Shameful, because you know, for their their next model EVs, the the Hyundai and Kia, the uh, the Ionic Six or something like that, it looks pretty neat. It's really expensive, but it looks neat. Hopefully, it doesn't catch on fire. Um, in more industry news, Argo AI, which everyone follows, we're all big followers of Argo AI. I had no idea what it was until five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> is shutting down. Uh, and Ford and I think Volkswagen was the other one that was the big investor in Argo. Yep. Yeah, so Ford and Volkswagen basically funding a third party to um, come up with some sort of self-driving artificial intelligence neural network. Insert your own buzzword uh, here, and they're ship their Ford and Volkswagen. They're like, yeah, we're pulling our money out. This isn't working, and Ford is uh, focusing on level two, which we've discussed before, which is essentially ADAS, which is uh, you know your basically automated cruise control and ideally automatic emergency braking. And level three, which we've discussed, is pure garbage and nonsense because that requires the driver to, hey, you don't have to drive the car. Go ahead and read a book. But hey, I got to take take over the car now. Take over the car now. Oh, you took a nap. Oh, you're dead. Um, I'm not sure why they're even playing with level three stuff at all. Um, Fred's convinced me. It's um, I think the 
he used some very more colorful language than I have, but uh, hot garbage is the way to go. Um, so what what's uh, what's happening with manufacturers here? They're a few of them seem to be pulling out of these third party setups that they realize that, you know, level three is just not going to happen. Are they better off funding their own things? You know, I think I don't know. sometimes sanity will prevail. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, of course, you have to be an optimist in this business, but uh, the levels, the level two, three, four, five, they're actually very fluid. There's no hard standard or anybody who is uh, determining whether or not you can say, yes, this car is definitely a level two or this car is definitely a level three. So I, I think perhaps being an optimist that Ford's taking a more pragmatic approach and saying, well, let's, let's not be bound by these arbitrary and capricious definitions. Let's just see what works and put what works into the cars and hopefully you know improve the the safety of these vehicles by taking these features we developed through this prior investment and looking at how we can put them into cars today to improve their safety that's actually something we've been advocating for a while now which is stop squandering money on this vision of a unicorn and start putting your money into the technology that could actually save lives today so being an optimist and, you know, I, I can always hope that that's the case, that that's really where they're headed. That's a reasonable approach, I think, because, you know, level four uh, probably is never going to happen. Level five certainly never will happen. And why not take that technology base and use it to advantage the safety of your customers? Do you ever see the movie Total Recall? Because I think that was level four. You know, Schwarzenegger got in the self-driving taxi. It was a little robot guy. He eventually ripped the robot guy out. There was still a steering wheel, so it wasn't level five. But, you know, level four, I saw it in a movie. It's real. I, I will put it on my list of things to do. <laughs> I, I don't think I have it's seen a, that one yet. It's a long list. <laughs> it is. It's getting longer longer by the day as, as my days are getting shorter. It's a fun movie. It shows that you can survive on Mars without any oxygen or atmosphere for like 30 seconds. It was amazing. Um, Michael, thoughts? That sounds, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Not on living on on uh, on Mars, but but uh, what Ford is, Ford and Volkswagen and their approaches. Ford is, um, Ford's the only one that has really come out and said what they're doing with, you know, they've said they're, they're, or at least that I've seen, they said they're focused on level two, level three, which I will, I will, I will uh, take Fred's um, opinion on that for now and try to be positive about that. I, I, you know, I just, I literally think they just know that they're throwing money away um, and that somebody's going to develop it, but it's probably not going to be them. It's probably going to be 30 years from now. And at that point they can, they can jump in and buy the technology once it's cheaper um from someone else and and that makes a lot of sense and hopefully they are going to take all the money they've saved and put it into you know their adas and driver monitoring and things that 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 can really help lower the crash crash and injury and death tolls well it looks like both gm and ford they have that whole geofenced driving s solution or on, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of miles of highways, hey, the car will drive itself, but they also have driver monitoring to make sure that you're actually paying attention. It will turn itself off if you're not paying attention and be like, hey, you're going to take over the wheel. We don't think you're paying attention. I mean, I think that's pretty interesting and neat, but I mean, what happens when you're 
on that highway, geofenced highway for five hours and not to get on the off ramp. Um, I mean, no one's got any real studies there of how quickly does a driver respond or remember, oh yeah, this is my off ramp. Right. All we know so far is that there haven't been any spectacular or widely distributed news stories about catastrophes associated with that. So that's, you know, a, a little bit of information. Um, certainly it shows up a lot less than it, than the Tesla stories. I don't know if that's because of the numbers of vehicles involved or there is some comparative benefit there, but uh, I, I agree that the more attention you pay to the uh, capability of the driver and the capability of transition from the automatic to driver control, ultimately the safer the trip is going to be and the better prospects for the passengers in the vehicle. So again, like Michael said, we you know we can hope that this is all working for the best, and they're, they're taking the best features and for the best reasons, and putting them into the campaign for passenger safety. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea what the transition is from like if you're on Ford or GM system and your exit's coming up. I don't know what kind of alerts they give and you know what kind of time frame they give. Um, it could be interesting. They give you know, hey, five minute warning, four minute, three, two, something like that, and. Um, I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting. Um, but with that, uh, I, I feel after we've listened to his melodious baritone voice, it's time for the Tao of Fred. You've now entered the Tao of Fred. Uh, my favorite part of the day. <laughs> Great. So today, right, well, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say today, you know, there's a couple acronyms sent to me. I just want to focus on one. Okay, can we focus on one? Can you do that? I know your generation, you got all your 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 ADHD problems and things like that. Um, but let's just focus on SAE because we've discussed this. We've come across it in the past. What the hell is SAE? SAE stands for SAE. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> they change. Well, we'll get into that history a little bit. But I wanted to revisit a couple items from last week. One is the existence of sarin in combustion products. And I couldn't come up with that reference last week, but I now have it in front of me quantification of ionic organophosphates and decomposed lithium battery electrolytes. And you can look that up. Um, basically, what it says is that with the conventional electrolytes and lithium ion batteries, when they burn, there are detectable amounts of uh, organophosphate species that are very closely related to the warfare agent sarin. So there's concern for that, and of course concern for people who are in the vicinity of uh, such a fire. I just wanted to clarify that from last week. The other That's point good. I wanted to clarify, go ahead. No, so it's not actually sarin. It's something that's similar to sarin. Off-gap. It's part of the family of chemicals that includes sarin. Okay. So we, don't, we don't know that it's actually sarin. Uh, we don't know that it's not either. We only know that it's part of that family. The other point okay. I wanted to clarify is uh, it's kind of inside baseball, but the uh, <laughs> LIDAR has a very narrow field of view because it's only looking at the point of light that's illuminated by the uh, laser being projected onto the object. It has a field of regard that can be very large because you sweep the laser back and forth across the uh, across the the entire range of things that are, are of interest to you. I, I don't think I clarified that last week, so uh, I wanted to make sure that was understood. Well, and with that, 
SAE. Well, SAE actually stands for SAE. The name of the organization is SAE International. In the olden days, back when we still wore sneakers, SAE stood for Society of Automotive Engineers. But they have branched out and they do a lot of other things now. There's a lot of uh, aerospace standards and technologies being produced. So um, that's why they've changed the name to SAE International, to be clear and, and uh, give way too much information about that. What they are is an organization that is composed of technical professionals who are involved in uh, some aspect of technology related to moving vehicles. Um, it could be the structures, it could be the logic involved in it, it could be safety. SAE, for example, has put together a group of people that has developed a standard called SAE J3016, which has been widely distributed and defines the automation driving levels that we talk about, SAE level one, SAE level two, et cetera, through SAE level five. The people who are involved in that are typically employees of the companies that are affected by the standards and reports that they produce. Um, automotive companies, for our interest, are predominant in the organization's uh, committees and technical working groups that we belong to. So the way it works is there's a technical working group that addresses some particular technical issue like, for example, uh, automotive self-driving cars, vehicle safety, or just some aspect of that, like the terminology associated with it. And then the technical working group comes up with a draft document that then gets voted on by uh, a higher level of organization, whether or not they want to accept it. And then it goes to the Automotive Council, for example, which is comprised of SAE employees, not the volunteers, and the SAE employees um, will actually look at it, make sure that it subscribes to the SAE standards, and then it would be published as a, as a standard or a report. Now, there's a little bit of complexity here because they will sometimes put out documents that are reports, meaning they're not supposed to be slavishly followed by people, they're just presenting information. But people will widely misunderstand this as a standard. And again, going back to SAE J3016, that is such a document. It's a report. It's not a standard. But unfortunately, they don't really advertise the fact that it's a report and it's not supposed to be uh, used as a, as a design standard. So people just go ahead and will write it into legislation, assume that it's got some technical authority that it really doesn't have. Um, they do write standards for different things, like SAE thread, for example, is a standard way of designing the thread on a bolt or uh, a connector between a faucet and, uh, and a hose, for example. Those are SAE standard threads. So they do have that, that kind of standard to which people comply and that does provide enough technical detail to say to somebody, this is how you do it. Whereas the reports only say, this is probably what you want to do. So there is there is that difference between the different kinds of documents that SAE puts out.
So is there, sorry, I was going to say, is what kind of issues have have arisen with this? Because you said, you know, some legislator reads that this report and says, hey, let's write this up as law. Like what, any examples of issues that have arisen from that or or bad legislation? Well, sure. Um, Going back to that single document, SAEJ3016, that has been put into the NHTSA standards, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that we often talk about, into their uh, documents relating to AV development. And they'll just say, we have we have accepted the SAE J3016 definitions of driving safety, for example, the level automation level zero through five. Well, that becomes a problem because uh, going down the road, those those might change. So the, the legislation that references those particular standards uh, would implicitly change because the standard has changed. Let me give you a specific example of that. A specific example is called the um, MRC, which is minimal risk condition. And the minimal risk condition is in common language, kind of a safe harbor that you would go to if an automatic vehicle has a fallback into something that is, is designed to protect people, right? So that's that's what you would think minimal risk condition means. Right. Simple, you, you know, simple English stuff. definition. Right. Unfortunately, that's not what it means. And if you look into the details of minimal risk condition, um, it's not minimal. It's only reduced. It's not a condition. It's actually a process or a procedure. And, and it does not mean that you're going to come to a safe stop. It just means that you can come to a safe stop if you if the designer wants you to. And in fact, you can continue back to a repair station while still being in the, quote, minimal risk condition, close quote. So this is something we've been harping on, and we've uh, happily, the technical working group, of which I'm a member, has recently decided to abandon that term and it will now become mitigated risk condition the mitigated <laughs> risk condition will in fact be a, a a safe condition in which people you know a, a, to which a vehicle could devolve if there's some kind of fault or defect in the vehicle and you're still using that same acronym of mrc so that's we are and, wow. and there's a couple of reasons for that one of the reasons is that legislation in some of the states simply refer to MRC. They don't refer to even the words associated with MRC. They just say that a vehicle will need to revert to an MRC if there's a problem. Well, that's great if <laughs> if you understand what it is and it has the proper and it has the proper import and the proper correspondence with what actual human beings think it means. But it's not so great if you know if you're somehow being misled. This, by the way, is a uh, a technique that's used by the automobile companies to evade responsibility in some sense for safety. Um, no. a, and and we'll get into that if you want to. But <laughs> I've, a, I've given you enough to chew on for now. Auto engineers to control legislation. Like let's throw out some acronyms here and be like it's minimal minimal risk condition. They just write down MRC and be like money for retirement clowns. I don't know. You there guys you go. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things that they're doing right now, which is really clever, I think, is that the automobile companies have gotten together and and made another group, kind of a shadow group, that's called the Automated Vehicle Safety Consortium. And so what you would think about this is that, well, it's a consortium that's going to address automated vehicle safety, which, again, reflects your optimism. I know that <laughs> you've got that. Um, but what it really is is a group that is producing something that sounds like it's safety, but they have excluded all public interest groups. They've excluded all safety organizations. The only people who are allowed to be in this consortium are automobile manufacturers or their representatives. And so what, and then what they do is they take this self-serving document and they bring it into the SAE activities to say, well, we're, we're going to reference this document. We're going to reference this AVSC document in the safety standard that we're promoting through the SAE. So it's kind of two tiers down and it's, you know, it's akin to the fine print on the website for Tesla saying, well, you really need to keep your hands on the wheel. They're, you know, two levels down, it's really obscure, and yet it serves as a foundation for the standards or the reports, which people often misunderstand to be uh, and think they're standards, that is being produced by this SAE International and assumed by the public to be well-vetted, well-understood engineering documents that, you know, have gone through a rigorous safety review process. God they're just not in many cases. So that's SAE. Oh, I was excited. I was bored. Now I'm depressed. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a success. I like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Uh, we have a new. I've got more. I've got more. I've got a whole alphabet soup here in front of me. Hey, look, there's going to be more episodes. So, you know, slow your roll there. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll keep them. <laughs> so uh we've got a new segment we're going to try out called this week in auto safety and this week in auto safety is the 30th anniversary of school buses being required to have emergency exits matching occupancy wait what what did they have 31 years ago they're just like the window the the door huh you know i think i think it was the there was the front door obviously that everyone gets on and then there was just a swinging open door in the back right um and there oh. were new what happened was there were new new um standards put into place in the 80s i believe or late 80s maybe early 90 late 80s something that time that exempted school buses you know they required every other every other passenger carrying vehicle to have more than one emergency exit or a number of emergency exits that accounted for the occupancy of the vehicle, which makes sense. You got 40 people getting off a bus. You want more than one exit. You want people to be able to pop out the windows that you see now, some of the other features that you see on newer buses. Um, but the, <clears throat> the school districts across the country along with you know probably some support from bus manufacturers you know raise the red flag that oh mo having more than one emergency exit is going to be a big discipline problem in school uh in school buses and it you know it, it makes putting these in not worth it to us and that's kind of a, a common 
objection that we see from school districts and 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 administrations because they don't want to spend money on safety they want to spend it elsewhere uh we see it on school bus seat belts that's a continual objection you know how are we going to uh deal with disciplining or getting all the kids to buckle their seat belts or all these other issues they raise about discipline when really what they're trying to do is not spend money on making school buses safer um in this case a couple of years after NHTSA decided to exempt school buses, we had a, the crash in Kentucky where 27 people on a school bus that was f- being used to transport a youth group in Kentucky died when a drunk driver hit them. That that crash resulted in um, producing a, you know, a, a, a future president of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. One of her children was killed in that crash. And it also spurred NHTSA to um, not exempt school buses anymore from a requirement that seems, you know, rather obvious that you should be accounting for occupancy and designing um, how many school bus emergency exits there are. So that's kind of a, you know, one of, you know, a shiny example of industry and special interest group opposing common sense safety rules and having to backtrack as we see over and over again when a large scale catastrophic incident happens that that clearly illustrates that more protections need to be available i I remember school buses as a kid just being little death traps um even when I mentioned I, I, in a previous episode that when they installed seatbelts on our buses in, in New York, no kid ever used them. Um, but even if you did use them, in front of you was another seat. There was no padding in front of you, just a steel bar. So it was like, yep. yeah, you hit first bang, you you know, your head's crashed, but hey, you wore your seatbelt. Um, mind-blowing to me. But twice a year, they would make us, every kid would learn how to use the air brake and you'd jump out the back emergency door. Um, I have no idea why we get to play with the air brake. I don't know what scenario. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was great. You hear that? Like, I don't, but I, you know, for the life of me as a, like a seven-year-old, I don't know what scenario you you need me to use the, the air brake because even jumping out the back door, it was so high off the ground. I'd, I'd get vertigo. Like, so I don't know, but it was, you know, a fun way to delay school by 40 minutes. Do you remember ever hear of a ship called the Titanic? Uh, yeah, Whitney Houston wrote a song. Yeah, they, they, it was a kind of an interesting ship, and uh, there was a catastrophe back in when nineteen fourteen, I think. That you may have heard about or seen in the movies. Un- until that point, ships at sea were not required to have enough life-saving seats for every passenger on board. And the Titanic was designed only to rescue the first-class passengers, which is pretty much what happened when it sank. So that's it, our economy. We, yeah. That sounds like how how uh, crash avoidance systems are rolled out across across America. Well, that's right, and, and you know we respond to catastrophes sometimes. Um, gun safety issues notwithstanding, we'll just leave that for another day. But. Um, that's part of the problem with automobile safety because usually crashes and deaths from automobile safety are distributed around the country. And so the 40,000 some odd people dying every year are not the kind of sensation that would allow people to get motivated to you know, actually put effective 
safety controls in place. We, you know, I, I don't want to say we need to have a Titanic in automobile safety, but there's got to be a way to articulate the problem in some way that can motivate people the way that such catastrophes as the school bus and a Titanic have motivated people to put regulations in place to avoid that in future circumstances. Right. And I, I know this was all covered actually in the, the uh, federal register notice that's 30 years old today. That was, there was another crash that happened the year after the Kentucky crash where um, a school bus rolled into a water filled gravel pit in Texas. And um, I believe killed 21 students. So there were, there was effectively a double massive catastrophes, two catastrophes here that spurred NHTSA to say, oh, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't have exempted school buses from, from this obvious requirement. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, the catastrophe is, um, but they'll just keep coming, I guess. Uh, how's that for a downer? All right, listeners, look, I know you're like, hey, the Center for Auto Safety, you've been around for 50 years. You're sitting on millions and billions of dollars. That's not true. It's not at all. The only way we survive is through listeners like you who go in, support us, click on, go to autosafety.org, click on the donate button, become a member because this is, you know, it's a powerful organization, but it's a shoestring or organization. I mean, as far as we know, Michael, the executive director doesn't own a shirt with buttons. Okay. It's when he, you see him on TV that those buttons are drawn in or, you know, they're leftovers from the old, the current affair show. No, I use AI. <laughs> he uses AI. Look, it's 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 craziness. So please, we need you to donate, support. Um, you know, you're you're not going to get a tote bag. Um, what you're going to get is good karma. Okay, and you know, ideally, as as we've proven in the past, legislation and regulations that help make cars and the road and the people around you a little safer. Well, Anthony, you can also get, you know, a monthly update in your inbox of all the recalls and investigations and service bulletins that have come out on your vehicle. How I don't know I if you knew that. Thing? I, I wouldn't. How, how would I how would I do that? Let's say I own a 2020 Toyota Corolla hatchback. How would I find that information, Michael? Well, you can go to the Center for Auto Safety's website and look at our vehicle safety check and, and search by make, model, and year. Um, and if you want an automatic update every month, you can subscribe as part of your membership to the center. Um, and you'll have one in your inbox on the last day of every month. And how much would that cost me? That is $50 a year for membership to the center. That's amazing. And that money really goes to your Colombian slush fund. I mean, wait. <laughs> You weren't supposed to talk about that. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> that's just uh, one of the great ways you can support the organization. And with that, we that's, have a that's District of Columbia. <laughs> oh, listeners, okay. Just so you know, yes, it's, District it's of under Columbia, the yes. control of the comptroller of the currency. So we're <laughs> right. We're not, is, you know, <laughs> this is a fully compliant 501c3 IRS regulated charitable organization. Well, well, that I, I also want to point out that they get to play stump the chump with a certified journeyman rocket scientist. If if they'll only send in a question, we'll be happy to address it. Send in a, a question. Do you have anything about how to shoot down a missile or anything related to SEE or the proper way to wear a seatbelt? Fred will address it. Um, you don't even have to be a member to do that, but you'll just will like you better if you are. 
Um, but with that, we got it's not it's listener mail. It's not a listener question. It was a listener, um, a little input thing. So, um, and this was just sent directly to me from a listener upstate New York named Michael. And it was uh, an article where researchers discover substitutes for rare, rare earth material in magnets. So, as we all know, you need a lot of rare earth magnets in EVs for batteries. And it's very difficult to get to. Most of this is all controlled by uh, China, um, where this happens. But this was some university of research at the University of Cambridge in col collaboration with colleagues in Austria, as it happens. Um, managed to create a cosmic magnet called tetratonite uh, in a lab. Normally, this takes millions and millions of years to develop, and they managed to do it in like, uh, you know, minutes just by combining uh, nickel, iron, and phosphorus in the right quantities. Um, so basically, they they were able to accelerate the formation of this between 11 and 15 orders of magnitude. Um I'm not 100% sure what that means, and I apologize. I didn't send this around ahead of time because it just popped in my head right now. Um, but it's kind of neat in that it it limits, you know, having to harvest things like neodymium, which is, uh, you know, used to create uh, magnets in EVs and also in your earbuds. Um, so, you know, it's... No, it is great news. It is great wanna, news. Yeah. It's fantastic. And see, look uh, at that. And he's cynical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> send it to me i'd love to i'd love to read that um one of the things people misunderstand about rare earth elements is that they're not rare so uh the, the reason that that name came from the original german researchers who were looking into it and they didn't have a lot of it hanging around so they started calling them rare earth elements and it sort of stuck but they're very common in the earth but in commercial concentrations there's only a few places where uh, it makes sense to extract them. Of course, as the price goes up, more and more areas will be economically attractive for extracting them. So it's it's one of those self-limiting processes, which yeah. is probably way more than you wanted to know. But no, thought I'd no, throw that, that in. They mentioned that in the article um, that rare earth uh, is not rare, and noble gases do not be able to grant you land. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got to get rid of all that argon. <laughs> I owe, I keep it in between my window panes. Um, that's, I think that wraps up another episode. Thank you for listening. There's more and more listeners each week. And uh, we we can't go on without you. I mean, we could. It would just be talking to the void. Uh, but uh, Thank you all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Happy November. Hey, happy November. All right. Um, drive safe. Don't rely on automatic braking. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.